The Bible reading this afternoon is the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. I shall begin with the last verse of chapter 16 to ease the way into our passage. I have told you these things so that in me, said Jesus, you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus prays for his disciples. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may be, have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am not of the world. <coughs> Pray, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you, that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. 
Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus prays for all believers. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Thanks be to God. Very well read, Ken. Not a, not a straightforward passage, so well done. Uh, I encourage you just to keep the passage open in front of you. My name is Benji, for those of you who've already forgotten uh, from the interview. Um, and it's a privilege to be with you here this afternoon. This is one of my probably all-time favourite passages in the Bible, so I'm thrilled um, that Tobias asked me to preach on it. But before we kick off, uh, why don't I pray for our time together? Father in heaven, I thank you that all of creation is moving in one direction, which is towards the glory of you through your son. Father, I thank you for the awesome privilege that we have and as a tiny sliver of that kingdom to make the name of the Lord Jesus Christ known. Father, please give us great confidence in what your son and your spirit have achieved this afternoon. Amen. I'd love to tell you about one of my friends, Jean. So Jean has just passed away, sadly. She passed away at the age of 93. Uh, And Jean had lived in a care home called the Elms. Uh, The Elms is near us on Barry Road. Uh, And the Elms has about 20 or so um, older people. I think you're not supposed to say old people anymore. Older people living there. And Jean had lived there for 30 years. Uh, Jean had lived there for 30 years. And during that entire time, she had sought to tell the other residents, as I said, about 15 to 20 of them, about the Lord Jesus through running a Sunday service, which she ran every week for 30 years on Sunday, and a Bible study, which she ran every week on a Tuesday for 30 years. Uh, Now, the reason she was in there is because um, when she was younger, she was hit um, by a bike when she was uh, on, on on her push bike and was severely disabled. So she's constantly, she was constantly hunched to the left. Um, And she didn't have use of her hands, and she suffered severe nerve damage, which meant that her left leg was amputated. Um, And she had a hunch, which impeded her speech to barely above a whisper. 
Jean also is single, um, had been single her whole life, no children, and her funeral was very poorly attended. And I want to ask us, as we think about Jean, um, uh, who is Jean? Who is Jean? Uh, to the world, Jean really was nothing, really. 30 years in a care home that no one's ever heard of, um, doing a ministry that no one really knows. She's, she was elderly, single, severely disabled, barely any income, state-funded, um, and has remained in the same home, as I said, for the best part of 30 years. Who is Jean? Who is Jean? Well, the world would answer, nobody. She's nobody, really. Um, and I suppose if we were to ask that question about Jean, what might we answer? And if we were to ask that question for those of us in the room who are Christians about ourselves, how would we answer that question? Who are we? Who are we? And if we ask that same question, who are they, about the disciples uh, that we're seeing in the upper room discourse, we probably would have got a very similar answer there. Nobody. Really, if we're honest, imagine that you're there um, and Jesus is preparing them for him leaving. He's saying, listen, uh, I'm going. There's 11 of you. And your job, very easy, very straightforward, is to convert the entire world. That's your job. I'm going. That's basically what the upper room discourse is answering the question. Really, Jesus, are you leaving us? Are you really leaving us? Why would you? And is that better? Remind yourself that they're illiterate. Their beliefs are illegal. Their leader is about to die and leave them to go to heaven. And let's face it, they're cowards. Uh, They all flee where Jesus' arrest. And Peter, um, we were preaching this morning from Matthew's Gospel on Peter's betrayal. Uh, Peter, the best of the disciples, denies Jesus three times in the very next chapter of John. Uh, If we asked who are the disciples, we would probably only be able to say, well, they're nobody really. They're nobody. They're nothing. Just like Jean, we're left asking, who are the disciples? Who are we? Who are they? So here we come to the final chapter in Jesus' farewell discourse, which is basically a very posh way of saying a conversation upstairs, upper room discourse, sorry, and with his disciples before he goes to die. And it's a prayer. Do we see that in 17 verse 1? And Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed. It's a prayer between Jesus and the Father. And we kind of get to sit in and listen in a sort of strange way. It's the final insight into Jesus' relationship with the Father to give us confidence as he leaves. Now, to kind of get our head around this, I don't know if the last time you remember, um, for those of us older in the room, it probably would have been going to the house landline to call our crush. We would do that. Would we ever call our crush on the house? That I did that, run up huge phone bills. Um, some of the younger people are looking at me like, kind of, what is a landline? Anyway, I want you to imagine that you're really nervous about talking to your crush, okay? So you ask your mate, the classic, school ground, can you please call my crush for me and ask them, if they like me. And you only get one side of the conversation, so your friend kind of picks up the phone and goes, oh, hey, Jen, how are you doing? Quick question, what do you think about Barry? And then you, you can, all you can hear is your friend's side of the conversation. It's like, oh, you think Barry's a great guy? And you're kind of, your heart's lifted and you're thrilled. Now, obviously, you can't hear um, what Jen is saying on the phone, but you can get an idea of what's going on based on one side of the phone conversation. Silly illustration, but here we see Jesus talking to the Father And we get an insight into how the Father and the Son relate to one another. It's like getting to glimpse into the Godhead. It's a thrilling chapter. And the first point um, I think will be coming up on the handout is point number one, 17 verses 1 to 4. The cross makes God known. Point one, the cross makes God known. 
Uh, we see in John 17 verses 1 to 4 that Jesus can only be talking about the cross. Have a look with me at 17 verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. As I said, this must be talking about the cross, the hour of glorification in John. We've been building up to it since John chapter 2, verse 11. Um, And this is the glory of Jesus going to the cross. And all throughout John's gospel, we've seen Jesus say, not yet, not yet, not yet, until 13, verse 1, now. Now is the time for me to be glorified, to depart, to die Uh, to be raised up on the cross. This is the moment of Jesus's glory. Now, glory is just a big Old Testament word, and I think the easiest way to understand it is God's character made known. So what we're about to see when Jesus goes to the cross, Jesus is saying, this is the moment that I make the Lord known. And we've seen, haven't we, um, in, uh, if we remember, um, if you've ever looked at John 1, 1, 18, that no one has ever seen God. Yet here we see verse 5, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence and with the glory I had with you before the world began. In other words, make me known to make you known. Jesus shows God's glory and he shows God's glory by dying on the cross. I guess it's worth pausing there, though, because we're so used to that as Christians. That's the Sunday school answer, isn't it? I wonder if the young people in there, like, how, is, how does God make himself known? Jesus! Like, yeah, that is, uh, yeah, well done. That's the answer. That's always the answer. Well, some of the Christians in the room are probably used to that. But pause for a second and think, if someone asked you, how would you make yourself known? What's the most interesting thing about you? For me, um, I like chess, although I hear there are some chess players here, so I probably shouldn't say that too loud. Um, I I speak Chinese, lived in China for a while. That's probably my only interesting fact, I'm afraid. And I wonder, what would you say about yourself if someone asked you, so who are you? Um, If you were to kind of choose the most quintessential thing about yourself. And imagine all the things that God could have chosen to make himself known. He He could have made, I don't know, his name in stars in the sky, couldn't he? Uh, he could have made volcanoes erupt in a symphony that spell, you know, spells out something about his character. But the thing that God chooses, and um, the unique thing that he chooses, is that he has made himself known through a slave nailed to a piece of wood. He's made himself known supremely through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not, I think, what we would initially think the creator of the universe would choose to make himself known. Um, so the that's point number one. The cross makes, G, uh, makes God known. Point number two, the disciples. The disciples make God known. Now that obviously begs the question that if the cross makes God known, how is it that we though can, um, what's the next step in that basically? If the cross makes God known, what about once Jesus is gone? Given that this is preparing um, uh, every, for the disciples for Jesus leaving, how is this information passed on? Well, here we see that it is the disciples that make Jesus known. It's like, I suppose, some, um, I don't know if you can call it Chinese whispers anymore, that's probably culturally insensitive, isn't it? Yeah, that probably is culturally insensitive. The whispers, whatever the case may be, or like a holy relay race, where you pass the baton on. But notice that the baton is the word of God. So have a look with me at 17 verse 6. I, Jesus, have revealed you, God, to those disciples whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours 
and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your words. Verse 8, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you have sent me. Verse 14, I have given them your words, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than that I am of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your words is truth. Do we see? God gives his words to Jesus. Jesus lives those words out on the cross and then gives those words to the disciples. And notice exactly what that achieves, verse 10, a shocking thing that this achieves, verse 10. All I have is yours and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. In other words, if the cross makes God supremely known, here we see that it is as the disciples have the very words of Jesus Christ that they bring glory to him. Do we see how the relay relay race works? God is unknowable. Jesus, the word, makes God known. The disciples are given Jesus' words, and then they are able to glorify God in turn. Again, think on that for a second. God makes himself known on the cross and then makes himself known through disciples. And again, God could have made himself known in an infinite number of ways. Mountaintop volcanic symphonies, and as we said, arranging the stars or a column of fire in the Old Testament wilderness. But yet he chooses a lonely cross and a group of illiterate fishermen with some words. Some words. And if we pause for a second to think about that, Um, Does that kind of give us confidence about what we're doing here on a Sunday? It's not many of us here. I know that's because some of us are at Word Alive. And we kind of gather around and we sing some words. We recite some words. And then we listen to a guy stand up at the front and say some words. And we might be left thinking, that's pretty naff. That's pretty weak. But it's interesting, isn't it, that the way in which that God decided to hand on the knowledge of himself... Is through Jesus and his words. It's very striking. Final point, number three. Those who believe in, these, in the apostles' words make God known. Those who believe in the apostles' words make God known. Of course, there's one more step, isn't there, in this relay race we need to cover. From the Father to giving Jesus his words. Seen on the cross to giving the disciples these words by the Spirit. But of course, if that is where the relay ended, how would anyone here, or anyone else for that matter, outside of knowing the apostles, come to know the unknowable God? Which is why verse 20 is so precious. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them, disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. It's a stunning intimacy, in other words. Because of these words, mere words, look at the intimacy that is achieved with God. Verse 21, that all of them who hear these words may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. In other words, just by receiving these words, we are in the Godhead itself. An intimate God-reflecting community entering into that love with the Godhead. And verse 23, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved 
me. In other words, as people receive the words of Jesus from the apostles, they are the means by which the world comes to know the one true God. In other words, how did God decide in his infinite wisdom to make himself known through a lonely man on a lonely cross to 11 illiterate fishermen to their words to us today? This is a glorious relay race and it finds its end in those who believe in these apostles' words from the Father to the Son, to the cross, to the apostles, to you, to us, here this afternoon. The world, because of us, verse 21, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and me and I and you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Because of us receiving the words of the apostles, the world will be able to see the unknowable gods. Now we, just, we started, didn't we, by asking that question, who do we think the disciples are? And we concluded not very much. Cowardly, illiterate, abandoned and alone, following after a crucified slave. And Jesus had asked them to display him to the world. Who were the disciples? Well, nobody really. Except I want us to pause this morning and just reflect on the fact that we ask ourselves the question, how many followers today and throughout history are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ because of the disciples' words? Uh, China, it says, has um, over 150 million Christians. Nigeria alone has more Anglicans than the whole of the Church of England, which is hilarious as a side point. And the number of people who would profess the name of Jesus Christ today alone is well over a billion. Um, And there isn't a corner of the world where really the gospel isn't proclaimed. So billions and billions of people are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ because of 11 illiterate fishermen in the Middle East with nothing but some words about a man nailed to a piece of wood. The greatest movement in human history... Um, through 11 men's words. Um, And if we think that sounds a bit grandiose, pause for a second and realise that the only reason we are here is because of these 11 men's words. Um, We are speaking about the Lord Jesus in a language that did not exist, in a country that did not exist, with a conception of, I don't know, freedom of speech and all the rest, in a society that wasn't even conceivable at the time, And we're talking about these 11 men's words 2,000 years later. Who were the disciples? Maybe no one, but also uh, the founders of a movement that is the greatest movement in human history, all with just some words about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to imagine something very heretical this morning. So, please, I know this is heretical in advance, okay, so you don't need to come up and kind of. Um, beat me up um, with this illustration but I want you to imagine that the father the son and the spirit they kind of get together and they want to write a love letter okay they're romantic they want to write a love letter again I know this is heresy okay so don't don't this isn't how the trinity works Um, but imagine that they all get together and they want to write a love letter for the world and you can imagine the three persons of the godhead conversing and debating about about what to put in this letter so one of them is suggesting how about the beauty of creation 
You know, think about the cherry blossoms. They're so beautiful. I'm not into flowers. That's the only flower I know the name of. The cherry blossoms, they're amazing. Isn't that incredible? And then, you know, someone else might say, well, what about the galaxy? What about the stars? You know, the Milky Way. We're going to put that in the love letter to the world. And then someone else says, what about music and, you know, the beauty of creativity, the beauty of humanity? And then, you know, one, and then the spirit comes back around and says, well, what about just the majesty of man? Um, given the very image of God, blessed with glory and cre- creativity, subduing the whole world. They could have, what about that? Why don't we put that in our love letter to win the world to us? But God does not choose any of those for his heretical love letter. Um, he doesn't choose that. No, God chose Gene. God chose Gene as his love letter to a dying world. Jean, who's passed away two weeks ago, disabled, elderly, single, weak. But what did Jean have? Jean had the words of Jesus. Jean had the words of the apostles. Words about a dead slave on a tree, King Jesus. Jean and her words about Jesus is God's love letter to a dying world. Now, I have great joy and also great sadness at the fact that Jean, one of the people that she spent most of her time with in her care home was another lady called Anne. Anne is 93 and Anne is blind. Um, And Anne can't read scripture, obviously, because she's blind. And Jean's great prayer for Anne was she was desperate for Anne to come to to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And she would tell her the gospel pretty much every day. It was wonderful to see. Um, Jean would sit there kind of you know, struggling to kind of um, turn her head and she would be like, Anne, I want to tell you about Jesus. And then she would tell Anne about Jesus and Anne was going, oh, I know about Jesus. I don't really want to hear about this. Um, And then Jean, as I said, passed away two weeks ago. And three days ago, I had the great privilege of preaching at the Elms and Anne came up to me afterwards and said that I finally understand that the Lord Jesus Christ died for my sins. It's the greatest message I've ever heard. And so we pause for a second there and think, that is nothing to do with me. That is absolutely nothing to do with me. It's all to do with God. But for 20 years, uh, Jean shared the gospel with Anne. And Jean never got to saw the fact, see the fact, or she won't, or she will, I suppose, very soon when Anne comes to meet the Lord. Jean never got to see the fruit of her labour this side of the new creation. But because Jean had the words of Jesus, she was God's love letter to Anne. And Anne will stand in eternity with Jean, um, for large part because of Jean's faithful handing out of that word over and over, day by day, week by week. Who is Jean? Well, she is God's great declaration of himself. She has the words of the apostles. She is God's letter of love. Which, of course, begs the question for us, who are we? I don't know Grace Church Broccoli very well. And I don't know you very well. But if you have the words of Jesus, then you are the means by which God has decided in his infinite and great wisdom to make himself known at this little corner of his kingdom. That what happens when you walk into your office or your school and someone speaks to you and you tell them about Jesus? What do you think is happening? Because John 17 says that they are meeting God when you talk to them about Jesus. They are meeting the one who put the stars in the sky and spoke us into existence. Now, we might feel particularly weak. We gather around some words, we say some words, we sing some words, words, we recite some words. But we must never be ashamed of the thing that God has given us to make himself known. 
No, God has given us one means to make himself known, the words of Jesus. We are his final declaration to a dying world. If we have the words of Jesus, we show people God. Who are we? We are God's love letter. Why don't I lead us in a final prayer? Father, I thank you that you choose weak means and weak people and a weak message so that all the glory might go to you. Lord, please give us great encouragement and great hearts that if we have the words of Jesus, we can make you known. Amen.